There comes a time in the life of some families where uh, if you have kids, they're old enough to develop this desire to go away on a trip, to travel somewhere. Whether it's vacation, whether it's going to a theme park, you're going on a trip. You go and on, you're the old uh, Little Einstein, going on a trip, my favorite rocket ship. Uh, uh, <laughs> as a family, you've saved up, you've packed up, you've loaded up, and you're headed out. And as you're headed out, you're thinking of that amazing place, that magical place you're headed to, whether it's Disneyland, whether it's your grandparents' house, whether it's Krispy Kreme donuts, whatever it might be, you're, you're headed out. And as you're traveling, coasting down the road, if you're driving, the sun is peeking over the horizon, the music is in the, in the, in the radio, and you're just enjoying, you hear the sweet, sweet voice of a child piercing as if it's cutting through the mold of a jello, saying, are we there yet? And it's this piercing, cutting through. As a, as a parent, you may have been in that. Now, you, you know the directions. You have Google Maps up on your screen. Maybe you have Waze. Old school, we used to print the directions out, or you've driven it long enough. So you know where you're going, uh, but you respond with a simple, don't worry about it. I mean, it could be simpler. It could be with a little bit more gusto or umph. Like, don't worry about it. Now, many of us, we may have found ourselves in similar predicaments. This child that is a blessed child yet keeps nagging and nagging and asking and asking and, and worrying and stressing out about the commute and how much longer it'll take and if there'll be any food left at the restaurant or if they're going to let any guests in at the park by the time that we get there, if there's traffic is going to be in. And you, you, you know the answer to all of those questions, but your response is not an eloquent like definition of why. They, you simply say, don't worry about it. Now, humanly, sometimes it's because we just don't have time for that. I'm like, like, oh my gosh, I'm driving. Don't worry about it. Leave me alone. But, but deeper than that, it's don't worry about it because I'm, I'm driving the vehicle and I know how long it's going to take for us to get there. Don't worry because I know you have to eat lunch. My son loves food and he'll ask us when we're driving. When we, I'm, Elias, I know you got to eat lunch. I've already mapped out. I know what you need. Don't worry because I'm, I'm your father, I'm your dad, and I haven't forgotten about you, and I'm, I'm not about to start now. Don't worry because I am here. Now, another word for worry is anxiety, and that's the sermon series that we are currently in, anxiety. I like what Pastor Rich Velotis says about anxiety. He says this, he says, Anxiety is an automatic response to a threat, whether it is real or imagined. It is an automatic way of functioning. Anxiety isn't always expressed in fear or timidity. Sometimes it is expressed in anger, in a need to control, in manipulation, or even overworking. Anxiety has many different expressions. Now, I don't know about you, but I resonate deeply with Pastor Rich's expression about anxiety. First, because I've seen time and again how worry and anxiety has fleshed itself out in my life. Like all those things that you saw up there, anger, controlling, manipulation, overworking, all those things. I could see points in my life where that has shown up because of anxiety. 
But it's not just because of that. It's because I've also, if I think correctly, I can admit that those things have come up because of real threats and also imagined threats, threats that aren't really there. I remember when, uh, when, when I was about six years old, um, this is a long time, okay, I'm, I'm 40, so 34, yeah, my math is good. 34 years ago, some odd years ago, uh, we, we grew up not having a lot of money. And one of the first board games, maybe the first board game that I remember my parents getting us was Papamatic Trouble. Now, the OGs, you have to say Papamatic Trouble. You don't just say trouble. Papamatic Trouble, because it's way back in the day. And it was amazing. It was this great gift, and we were so excited about it. And I remember one day that my dad went out because he had to do some engagement, some events, some ministry thing. And we had some uh, childhood friends over at the house. They were really my sister's friends. I'm just like the young runt that's there. And we're playing these games. And inevitably, what ends up happening by the end of the night is that several of the pieces went missing. And oh my goodness, we were so freaked out and we were so anxious and worried. Now, um, for those uninitiated, uh, that means that I grew up in the discipline of the belt and the discipline of the whip. So I, I thought my life was surely going to end that night. My, my sisters and I, we literally put on layers of underwear, shorts, pants, shirts, and we hid underneath layers of blankets and quilts. I probably lost 10 pounds that night because we were surely going to die. And I remember when my dad came home, my mom broke the news to him as we're like hoping that he wouldn't hear and we'd just fall asleep. And he pulled the covers out and he's like, it's okay, it's fine. Nothing's gonna happen, don't worry, don't worry. Now, I, I wanna make a quick disclaimer. Today, I'm not gonna be talking about mental health. I know that there are very real implications with regards to mental health. And at Mosaic, you're never gonna hear us say that it's not real and that you should only pray about it. You're not gonna hear us say that. I, I just wanna to highlight today that what I'm talking about today is the non-mental health anxiety and worry that we delve about. In Greek, the, the root word for anxiety or for worry or concern is this word pronounced Mary now. Can, can you guys say Mary now? Mary now. It, it should be on the screen in Greek and then in English. And in its various forms, it is found 22 different times in New Testament. Now, I mentioned concern because there are actually times where this is used Positively. In Philippians 2, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I may be cheered when I receive the good news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest, Mary, now in your welfare. Later in Philippians, it says, Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad that I may have less anxiety, marrying now, the same word. In Corinthians, it says in two different parts. One, besides everything else, I face daily the, the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Concern, being a good thing. And then later in 1 Corinthians, or, or separately in 1 Corinthians, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Concern is not always 
a bad thing. In other words, it's a human and natural and expected for us to have some level of concern. But even a good thing like concern in excess can be bad, which is perhaps why Paul told the church in Philippi this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. It might be why Peter writes in his first letter, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Both good, but it could also be bad. My family, we moved to Brooklyn in 2014? 2014, and this is a story that I've said in different instances, but it came to mind as I was going through worry and anxiety this week. Uh, we moved into the neighborhood of Crown Heights, which is uh, a, a, a pretty hot neighborhood in terms of crime and violence. And one afternoon, uh, we're walking with our son in a stroller that's about a year and a half and our daughter that's about two and a half. And it's 3.30 in the afternoon and we see uh, cops putting evidence tags on the floor right where we're passing. And we come to find out that no more than five minutes before we had walked that way, there was a gunman that was running this, this direction, shooting as he was chasing someone. And my, my semblance of security crumbled because I, I, I thought of us having walked through that intersection five minutes before with our kids, and I was deeply troubled. And as I was processing that, the question that I felt God clearly asked me was, do you trust that I can take care of your kids better than you can? Ooh. And when I processed it, I was like, no. The reality is I, I, I haven't been trusting that you can take care of my kids better than you can. I, I haven't been trusting that you can take care of my finances better than I can. And, and the reality and the root of worry and anxiety was revealed in my life in that instance. Francis Chan says this about worry. Worry implies that we don't quite trust God is big enough. Worry implies that we don't quite trust God is big enough. See, because at its core, worry justifies our lack of trust in God. At its root, that's what worry does. It justifies our lack of trust in God. And, and that's not what we are being invited into. Instead, as we look at today's text, I want to offer two invitations with regards to anxiety and worry that we're being invited to. Let's dive in. First, we're invited to see God's faithfulness. And this is what it reads. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at all the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying at a single hour to, to the span of your life? And why do you worry about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Jesus isn't just telling us not to worry, which is what he says in the beginning, don't worry about our lives or about what we'll eat or about what we'll drink, but he's inviting us to see how God, already at work in the lives of the birds in the air, already involved in the beauty of the lilies, already clothing the grass on the field, to see that if God, our Father, is doing that, how much more would he clothe you? And it's, it's not just clothing because he's able to, because I got the power, Woo! It's, it's not just like a posturing of God as being omniscient and all-powerful, even though that is true that he is all-powerful and he's able to. This text comes from the Sermon on the Mount, and later in the, this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ties this in when he says this. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? In other words, look at God's faithfulness, which flows out of the reality that he is your father and he cares deeply for you. That's it. He cares deeply for you. Look at God's faithfulness. Secondly, I, I believe we're being invited to cultivate a life of faith. Verse 30 reads, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Is this, is this Jesus like saying, like taking a dig? At his disciples, like you of little faith, that's that's not cool. Jesus is talking down on them, but that that's not that's not what Jesus is framing here. It's not name calling. Instead, it is Jesus acknowledging the infancy of their faith. And while he acknowledges that infancy of their faith, it brings with it an awareness and an invitation that they need to grow. In that faith. It's like Jesus saying, guys, look, look. Look at what God is doing all around here. Think of it. How much more would he do for you? You might not see it yet because your faith is still young. You have little faith. I get it. The inclusion of of, of this phrase, it isn't a negative declaration, but rather it's an invitation for them to cultivate a life of faith so that it may grow. Now, There's a lot that can be said about growing faith. And we could literally preach an entire year on this and not even make a dent. But I do want to offer at least some tangible tools for someone who may be looking to garden, to cultivate this life of faith. They're not the only tools. They may not be the best ones for you. They're just some tools that I'd like to offer. Number one, receive the word. 
Second Timothy says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And Romans 10 says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, if I had a nickel for every social media guru self-help that I've seen, any Instagram account that like, hey, do this and you're going to, we would probably all be rich and we'd all be able to retire and we'd all have luxurious homes. Um, but there's no substitute for the person pursuing to cultivate a life of faith and a walk with Jesus than the very word of God. There's, there's, there's no substitute for it. And daily cultivation looks like receiving God's word into your life, into our lives, allowing uh, our lives, our concerns, and our thoughts to have more of God's word in the reserve of our gas tank. What are we, what are we ingesting? What are we partaking? So one tool is to receive God's word. And I think after that, what happens next is number two, that we renew our minds. Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to submit that as we cultivate a life of faith that is deep in partaking of God's word, I think that what can happen is that at some point we would be faced with some circumstance, some worry, some anxiety that would have normally taken us out. But this time we would hearken back to a promise that God gave us in his word. Fear not, for I am with you. I am your strong refuge. And rather than being distraught, we have this vast array of promises richly from God's word because we've been cultivating this life with God's word and with his presence and with worship and then three walk it out there's a you know now walk it out you know I'm sorry Alicia (laughs) Alicia caught that we just walk it out James says but be doers of the word and not Hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Goes on to say in chapter 2, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I have uh, sometimes heard the duality of like, no, all you got to do is believe and it's good. Just believe and you're going to be fine. And then the combating side that says, no, it's faith with works. And, and rather than it being opposing sides, I think it's a progression of our faith. What do you mean faith without works is dead? Erica and me, we, we've had several instances in our lives in, in which this has been tested. And I remember when we were in Pittsburgh, uh, we had been married uh, two years, and we felt strongly God increase this call that we were supposed to step away, like that there was gonna be a transition coming. 
And after several months of, of prayer and God just like confirming and just speaking to us and, and sending words of uh, a wise counsel that surrounded us, we knew what we had to do and we knew that we were going to leave that place that we were at. And we, we felt confident, man, God spoke. And then we just sat on it for weeks. We just kind of kept on going about our lives and just not doing anything. And I remember us coming back around and, and having this feeling of this little prod. And I remember us sensing, what good is it us knowing what God is asking us to do if we don't act by faith in that thing? So the cultivation of our faith will sometimes look like acting rather than just sitting back and waiting for God to figure it out. Now, I'm, I'm not going to go further down this faith rabbit hole, but it was important to bring up because faith can be the antidote to anxiety and worry. And this morning, we simply have the words of Jesus that say, don't worry. Don't worry. And it's an invitation that we're presented. It's an invitation to see God's faithfulness, to see all the ways that he is already at work and to realize that if he's doing that already, how much more wouldn't he do that for you? And it's an invitation to cultivate our faith so that we can utilize that as an antidote to when situations arise. I wanna submit that as we do that, I think, I think that we position ourselves to be able to see more of the promise from verse 33 that says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So I, I wanna submit a question this morning. What, what are you anxious about today? What real or maybe even imagined threats are, are robbing you of the joy that the Lord has set before you this morning? What are you, where are you struggling to trust in God? Where has, where has worry, where has anxiety overtaken the ways in which you even respond? Maybe you're angrier in certain areas. Maybe you've become more controlling in others. Maybe you've started to manipulate the outcomes of circumstances. Maybe you've even begun manipulating the relationships that you're in because you're worried and you're anxious. Where, where have worry and anxiety justified you not fully trusting in God? Page. She's gonna lead us in a song in a few moments and after we'll share at the Lord's table. But I, I really wanna invite us to ask the Holy Spirit this morning, as these words wash over us, where worry and anxiety is showing up right now in our life? It could be work, it could be circumstances and relationships, it could be finances. And I want to invite us to ask the Lord this morning 
the same way the psalmist did when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. To join your hearts with mine in prayer. Jesus, our prayer this morning is that that you would search our hearts. God, you ask us not to worry, not to be anxious. But if we're honest with ourselves, God, and if we're honest with you, there are areas in our lives in which we're stressed out, we're anxious, we're worried, and ultimately, in some of those areas, it's a sign that we're not fully trusting in you. So God, would you search us this morning? Would you show us the areas in our lives where anxiety is showing up, is creeping up, where worry is present? Would you show us the ways in which that has uh, tarnished the way that we respond to circumstances? Because rather than responding out of faith, we are responding out of fear and we're angrier and we're controlling and we're domineering and we're over manipulating. And we're trusting you less and less. But God, you invite us to not worry this morning. We desperately want to trust you. Simply ask that you would show us how to do that. We pray this in your name.